adjust your north, your course 10 degrees north, I am a lighthouse. And I read that account and I got to scratch in my head, why does that sound so familiar? Why does this story sound so familiar? And it came back to me. How often, brothers and sisters, do I argue against the Lord? How often do I fret about my situation? Brother Grant was at our congregation not too long ago. And he knows a little bit what I'm going through. I spilled it. I, I told him I emptied the barrel on him. He, he wanted to hear, so I gave it to him. Uh, but seriously, this morning, God has put each of us here on earth. And we're not all going to have maybe the same struggles. But the battle is going to be the same. And we need to fight on. We need to persevere. Jesus Christ already, already won the victory for us on Calvary. We need to apply ourselves. We need to adjust our lives to the scripture. God is the lighthouse. God's word is the encouragement. We need to bring my situation to the scripture and say, Lord, be merciful unto me. Help me in this situation. Not argue, not fret, not whine about what the situation is that I am in. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, just verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And if we consider, brothers and sisters, this morning what all Jesus went through for me. If I were to ask how many of you were spit upon, I don't think a hand would go up. If I were asked this morning how many of you were mocked and despised for what you stood for, maybe some hands would go up. Maybe we got made fun of at McDonald's because we bowed our head for prayer or whatever. But if I were to ask you this morning how many of you were spread out on the cross, Jesus did that this morning for you and me. And he, he did not, I believe, in the flesh. He wanted to avoid that. But he went through, and for you and I, he died on the cross. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So if I can encourage you this morning, if we say we're not in a battle or a struggle, we're only denying ourselves. If you're fighting the, the Christian life, you're in a warfare. You're in a struggle. You're in a battle. Give it to the Lord. Allow him to help you. Allow him to see you through to the end. And I trust that that is what we would do, that in the end, heaven would be the home for each of us. Let's, let's kneel for a word of prayer. Dear God, in Jesus' precious name, we come. We thank you. We praise you for another beautiful day, for another opportunity to come into your house. We thank you. We praise you for who you are and all you've done for us. Thank you, Father, for your willingness to, to be obedient and go to the cross, shed your blood for each one of us. And we trust here this morning that, that those in divine presence would have experienced the work of Calvary. And if there is one here that hasn't, we pray that, Father, their life would yield to you. Their life would yield to the work of Calvary. Father, we pray that you would be with those here at Cornerstone, 
As they worship from Lord's Day to Lord's Day, Father, we just pray that you would bless each and every one, from the ministers to the officials to the to each member, dear God, just bless them in a special way. Father, we pray that you would be with Brother Brant now this morning. Bless him as he would rise to his feet and break unto us the bread of life. Give him courage, give him strength. Father, give him boldness as he would rise to his feet, that he would just break unto us what you have laid on his heart. And Father, just keep us in your care. Help us to love, serve, and, and just live for you in such a way that when life and labors are over, heaven would be our home, is what we pray through Jesus' name. Taught us to pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. It is good to be back in the meeting house this morning, and uh, once again, greetings and blessings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ from Northwest Ohio. I am full, I think, now, so I think everybody has made it here. Uh, praise God for that. We really appreciate um, the, just the, the blessing of him allowing uh, my whole family to be here, so, and uh, my foster family to be here as well, so uh, she's a little tired, but she's... Uh, She's a lot of fun, so um, don't worry, we didn't bring the whole farm, so I don't think she brought anything, any animals with her. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? It, would, it would not be unlike my wife to bring animals, so um, I didn't see any in the pickup when I was out there, so um, I was hoping John would, uh, I, I appreciate his opening, I was hoping that, man, I mean, he stepped right into like predestination, and I was hoping that he would just go down that path and, and straighten that whole, whole uh, issue out for us. But evidently, that wasn't uh, where the Spirit led him. Um, this morning, we would like to talk about sanctification going on from our justification that we talked about last night. And remember, our justification, we talked about it being along, we, our lives are along a line, and we have a beginning, and we have a, a, an earthly death. 
And at some point in that line, we all need to make a point of justification or we need to make a point of accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And from that point on, we cannot be justified more and we can simply not be justified less. And I use the analogy of my wife and I uh, as that point of justification. At the moment that we were announced as husband and wife, we were as much married as what we ever could be, but we are no less married at any time after the fact. And that is what our justification is. But you can't just leave the Christian life at the point of justification. You have to move forward. You have to move beyond that. You have to keep going and growing. All right? And that's what our sanctification is. Okay? Um, when we look back at uh, the Old Testament, at the Old Law, and we, we think about that, we think, we think oftentimes uh, what happened when Christ went to the cross, it was once and done. It was once and for all. One time he went to the cross, and that is our justification, one time. But as we look back across Israel and we look back across the Old Testament, what did they continually do to grow? They continued to sanctify themselves year over year over year. It was a continual process, and that's the same for us today. There is a continual process, a continual growing that we have to do as well. And that's our sanctification. And I wanted us to make sure that we didn't just leave it at our justification. We can't just leave it and say, I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, therefore I can do whatever, however I want to do from here on out, right? And we, we reference Romans 6 about, shall I just continue in sin or shall I just continue to do whatever I want to do? And, and Paul makes it emphatically clear, God forbid. No, we cannot continue in the life that was prior to. We have been made new. We've been made different. We've been made for something. And so sanctification, what is, what is a definition of sanctification or a working definition? Anybody? Setting apart. Is there... Uh, I was just going to write set apart. You can imagine that set apart is written up there. Um, one of these pins is probably not going to work very good on that marker board. Um, yeah, being set apart. Now, interestingly enough, if you look at the word, if you look at the word sanctification, we'll just, we'll just, I won't try to spell sanctification because I wouldn't spell it right. So I'll just, I'll just write that we have been set I don't know anyway <laughs> I'm a terrible speller I know it's supposed to be an A it just came to me now in the heat of the moment I was like anyway um, <laughs> Those of you who know, so this goes way back to, to grade school, and, and honestly, um, this happened in grade school, and the teacher made fun of me, all right, and uh, it, like, it's in deep in my psyche, and, and I get up here, and then I'm like, my mind goes blank, you know, and it goes right back to, the, to that moment. Um, 
I should just use that as an example of sanctification because quite honestly, that is a moment in my life as a young person that I have gone, I've had to go back to multiple times. Actually, right here, right now, at this moment, I had, my mind immediately went back there. And you know what? I have a choice to make. I have a choice to either forgive uh, uh, Mr. Fawnen still or to not forgive him. And it's a continual process. And I literally had to make that choice right here. Um, God uses stuff like this in, in my life all the time, and I know that he uses it in your life too if you're paying attention to it, all right? I could, we could literally just be like, oh, yeah, that's in the past. But God pulls stuff like that up over and over again, all right? And that is part of our sanctification, is, is part of that process to be set apart. Um, Let's turn to Ephesians 2, and we're going to read the next verse. We read, and we'll reread verses 8 and 9, but we'll, we'll read verse 10 now also, all right? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace ye are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is our justification. We simply cannot muster up. We cannot work our way. We cannot gain salvation on our own. It is an impossibility. It is a, it is a gift given to us by God and by God alone and it is him that actually has to do the work of the giving it to us um, I, I said last night even I, I, when he comes knocking on our heart's door I don't even think we have the strength to open our heart's door and let him in all right I think that he actually has to to use his strength to open our, our heart's door and let himself in but we have to want that uh, as well. He also has to call us to himself so that we even know that we want him, right? Um, and it's that choice that, that we have to make. <clears throat> but verse 10 goes on. And this is where we simply cannot leave it at justification because of verse 10 here. All right? Verse 10, Paul goes on and he tells the Ephesians or he tells us. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good what? Works. Or to do good works. Right? He doesn't say, all you have to do is be justified. Right? He doesn't say, that's the end. He says, I've actually created you to do something. All right? And it is so easy. It's so easy for me to get confused as to what the boundary of those two things are. You see? Because on one side, if I'm supposed to do something, then I'm working my way into salvation and I can pat myself on the back. Right? And it's really easy to step into that camp. And on the other side, if it's not about works, it's really easy to just say, well, it's all about the cross and therefore, I don't have to worry about it. But there is that balance in there. 
Um, it's, it's the uh, grace-truth paradox. Um, God is fully full of grace, but yet God is fully full of truth, and we have to believe in his truth, yet rely on his grace, and they are both 100% God, and they seem like opposites, but yet they meld together perfectly when we understand him partially. Verse 10 again, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Isn't that an interesting statement that he actually says, before ordained? He's, he's saying, before I created you, I had good works planned for you, or I had stuff planned for you. It goes clear back to prior to creation when God knew that you and I would be right here, right now, doing what he has planned for us to do. And yet we still have this thing called free will, and we still are able to either say yes and do, or say no and don't. And that is an amazing thought. When we go and we think about sanctification and think about being set apart, um, one of the, or the root word of sanctification is actually the same word as in holy, as in Holy Spirit. And so I want us to think about this for just a second. When we start thinking about sanctification and we start thinking about the Holy Spirit, when we go back to that same root word, we look and we see actually the Spirit is the sanctifying Spirit. He is the Spirit that is setting us apart. He is the Spirit that is moving us to more like Him, to be like Him, and to continue in Him. And we have to rely and trust on the Spirit to do just that. The sanctifying Spirit is the Holy Spirit. But interestingly enough, if we go through Scripture, we see Scripture reference a holy God, also a holy Father. John 17, 11, uh, Revelations 4, 8, talks about a holy Father, all right, or a sanctifying Father. It also talks about Jesus being a holy Christ, all right, and if we reference, we will reference this, Mark uh, 124, Luke 434, um, are a couple of places that it references Jesus as being a holy Christ or a holy Messiah. Incidentally, we also are called to be a holy people or a set-apart people, right? We are to, called to be servants, Acts 4.30, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.2 as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.2 says, Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. All right? It is a point for us to be set apart or to be sanctified as well when we look at this. Um, I just use this as, a, as an illustration. I, I think that it's a, it's a good way to point this out. Um, 
I've, I've used this before, so if any of you have, have seen this, I'm sorry. But oh well, if we can get this thing undone. <clears throat> um, this is kind of how I see our sanctification, all right? And, and to me, um, I'm kind of a visual kind of person, so uh, I, like, I like visuals to, to be able to, to see how, how I think things work anyway. So let's imagine this rope as our life, all right? This is, this is our life, or this is our timeline, uh, and we won't go to the, to the end of it because it's too long. But we'll try to get some stretched out here a little bit. Now, imagine over here by Bonnie is the beginning of our life, or our, our birth, okay? And so along our birth, and I know that you guys can't see this unless you're on the front row, along, from our birth to the point of our justification, we are, in essence, dead to God, okay? Now, we're not getting into uh, child death and where children go. I, I truly believe that, obviously, prior to a, a state of accountability, all children go to heaven because of what um, David talks about with his son, his first son with Bathsheba, right? Um, but once we reach a state of accountability, we are dead to God. We are on the floor, unable to do anything, okay? At the point of our justification, all of a sudden, something happens, and not because of something that we've done, but be because of something he has done, right? And what happens is, is all of a sudden, we feel alive in Christ. And oftentimes, for myself anyway, um, I, when I, at like I said, at 12 years old, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. All of a sudden, I just felt lighter than air. All right, I was on fire, I came up, and there was a lot of growth in that short term, all right? Um, and so that's part of how I see our sanctification happen. All of a sudden, we've been set apart, and we come up. Not that we're closer to God so much, but it's a growth, okay? That's what I want us to, to view this as. Now, along that time... What happens is, or what has happened in my life anyway, is then there was a plateauing, all right? And I, I think that this is a fairly common or fairly normal thing to happen. We plateau, we end up just kind of moving along and not a lot of growth sometimes happens. Maybe there'll be a little bit of growth that happens. All right, and sometimes, in, and, I, and I, when I preach, I preach to myself, all right, so I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else, but what often happens in my life, it almost seems like maybe my timeline starts to even sink just a little bit. We started to talk about this last night, all right, so this sinking down, what happens is then we say, oh man, am I truly justified anymore? And we don't have to worry about whether we're justified or not, right? As long as we have, have not uh, separated that relationship with us and Christ. But then we go on, and in our life, maybe we go down just a little bit, 
maybe we climb. I don't know if this is going to stay up here, but hopefully you guys get the idea. And at some point, we continue to grow. Whoops. Anyway, you get the point. We'll put it up there. So, and then our life goes up. These little knots in here actually are, are probably <laughs> fairly accurate. Uh, we continue to go up, and eventually, that should be the end of our life, right? That's sort of what my sanctification looks like at this point. It's, I grew, I have, there's a whole lot more ups and downs in this thing, but this is where I'm headed, all right? And I, and I pray that that's where you guys are headed also. I pray that all of you are striving to continue to be set apart, to continue to be striving to be more like him, all right? This is, a, this is another way to look at this, okay? Um, and I, I don't, hopefully I haven't used this example here. I, I don't remember, actually. So uh, let's, let's take this pulpit here for just a second, all right? Let's say that we wanted to, to restain this pulpit. We wanted to strip it down and start over, restain it. When we start sanding on these big flat parts, how easy is it to take off the stain? It happens pretty fast if you have a, good, a decent sander and a decent, some decent sandpaper, right? You can get these big flat parts pretty fast, and you can strip them right down to the bare wood, okay? How easy is it to start getting in these cracks or, say, in here? How easy is that? That gets more and more difficult. And then if you have just this little line here where the router bit came along or where two pieces of wood come together and that stain was able to seep in there deeper and deeper, how easy is it to get all of the old stain out of that? It gets harder and harder and harder and harder the deeper you go. And I see that that's part of how our sanctification works as well. At the beginning of our, our Christian walk, Christ comes along and he, and he starts cleaning us up. And it, at first we're like, oh yeah, man, I feel so good. It's so easy. But it's just like when your kids are little and you're like, okay, you, you got you to gotta make sure that behind the ears are washed. And they're like, you know, pulling away. You got to make sure inside the ears are washed. And I really don't want to do that, Right? And it's the same in my life anyway, in my sanctification, in that Christ comes along and the Holy Spirit comes along and says, all right, well, we've got you looking better. Now, let's clean a little deeper. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm a little smelly. Let's clean a little deeper. And sometimes I'm like, no, you know, I think I'm all right for now. And I push back. And those are some of those times when my sanctification line tends to drop down just a little bit. All right? But just as we do this, we continue. And if we were to continue, it would take us a really long time to get down into all the cracks and crannies of this pulpit to get every bit of stain off of it. In fact, there's a good chance 
that you would never get all of the old stain off of this pulpit. Because if you were to do that, you would have to take it literally all apart, every piece, to make sure that you got all the old stain. And I'm not sure that it would go back together quite how it came apart. And God does that in our own lives as well. He knows enough how to take us apart, just enough to break us, to make us more like him, but yet he won't break us so deeply that he can't put us back together. And then he comes along and he starts making us into a more beautiful, not that this pulpit isn't beautiful, I'm not trying to get you guys to <laughs> redo this thing, all right? He makes us into a more beautiful person than what we could have ever been on our own by setting us apart, renewing us, and remaking us, all right? <clears throat> well, how does he do this? In what ways does God do this? Um, I don't know. Maybe I've told this story uh, before. He uses, he uses situations uh, in all of our lives. All of us have different situations. Uh, my wife and I, a few years ago, took off across the country pulling a travel trailer. Um, I was advised by, by uh, someone who knew better than myself that you really probably ought to replace the four tires on that travel trailer. They, were, they looked like they had good tread to me, but evidently they had uh, dry rot. Um, I said, they look good. Let's go. We headed off across the country. My wife says, pr um, prior to, she said, well, maybe you should listen. And I said, ah, no, I'm not very good at that. So uh, we head off across the country. And we made it out to, I don't know, South Dakota or somewhere from uh, northern Ohio, and a tire blows. And I think, oh, it's just a fluke, get the tire fixed, roll on. It wasn't long, and we lost another tire. And then we lost the tread of a tire. I think we lost, we had two blowouts and, and lost the tread of one tire. So that's, by that point, I realize I'm defeated, God. You need to sanctify me. You need to cleanse me. You need to make me repent of the pride that I thought that I knew better and make me new. And I've used that little illustration multiple times, but God uses other... In fact, when we got home, I went to, to that brother that uh, told me that I should um, replace those tires, and, and I just apologized to him. I said, look, I'm... I'm sorry, you know, I, I, you told me, and I just didn't listen, because it was a pride issue for me, and, uh, and I just apologized. Now, along our sanctifying journey, there are multiple situations that make us grow, all right? I, when I tell this story, I am not pointing at anybody, I am not referencing any specific person, or people, okay? This is just something that I have seen multiple times in multiple families with multiple different situations, all right? I am not pointing at anybody, please. How many of you have watched this take place? All right, mom and dad have amassed some, something, 
all right? Maybe it's a farm. Maybe it's uh, rental houses. Maybe it's a business, something, right? And mom and dad are getting older and older, and at some point, mom and dad are going to pass away. Maybe it's in a trust. Maybe it's just uh, to go out to the kids in certain ways. How many of you have watched as maybe mom passes and soon thereafter dad passes and you watch the family and it doesn't take long and all of the sudden the family is fighting over the leftovers and brothers and sisters are simply not talking to each other anymore. My wife and I have watched this happen different times with different people. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not referencing anybody. And my wife and I have decided early on in our marriage that we do not expect anything from anybody. Because I frankly would rather her, her siblings get everything that her parents would leave or that my siblings would get everything that my parents would leave rather than have an enemy for the rest of my life. And I also want us to think about this. This is part of our sanctification. If God uses our siblings in this way or other people in this way, we should be able to be broken down and set apart and be different and be a light to the world around us because shame on Christians for us acting like the rest of the world. Is it ours in the first place? Who lays claim to stuff? God says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't own any of the cattle in my calf barn. They are actually God's. And I have to hold it like this. And as soon as I start grasping and saying, these are mine, do you know what God's going to do? He's going to say, no, they're not. You're a steward. Do you know what a steward is? A steward's not an owner. And you better release that. Right? We as Christians should be the easiest people to give things up. Knowing what it took one on a cross 2,000 years ago to give up. So that you and I would have this gift called grace. Alright? In those situations, we can choose to be sanctified by God. Or we can choose to not be sanctified by God. The reason, oftentimes, my wife reminds me of this sometimes. She says, you need to put more nuts and bolts to it. You need to give practical examples. You need to make it something real so that people can say, yes, this or that. And then it's an, an analogy that we can see. All right? Hopefully, prayerfully, that's not too real for somebody in here right now. I'm not pointing, please don't think that I'm pointing fingers at anybody when I say this, all right? I'm just sharing my heart and sharing that God uses people and he uses situations to make us more like him. All right, okay? <clears throat>
the Spirit leads us in the way of sanctification. Second Thessalonians 2.13 says this, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of truth. 1 Peter 1.2 says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Once again, the Spirit sanctifying us, the Spirit using us, the Spirit changing us, the Spirit cleansing us, the Spirit taking all the rough spots off and making us new just as if we were to do that with this pulpit here right and he does that in our lives throughout <clears throat> philippians 2 12 and 13 says whereby my beloved as ye have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence and then he goes on and he says work out hmm your own salvation with fear and trembling. What is he meaning by this work out? Verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, when we look at this, God says work out, and he's not telling us you work it out. Do you know what he says in the very next, word, in the very next verse? He says it's him working in us. It's him doing the working in us. God is telling us what to do and how to do it, and it is our job and our responsibility to take up that mantle and to do it. Right? And in that, it sort of relieves this whole idea of whether I'm working out my own salvation or, uh, as we used last night, the shovel trying to fill in the trench so that we can get from one side to the other side, which is an impossibility, it takes that out and it says, actually, it's God who does the work in me. Now, what am I doing this work for? To set up treasure in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt, right? Hmm. So isn't it really easy to then start thinking, well, hey, I'm going to start doing this work so that I have treasure in heaven. How much treasure in heaven are you going to get if you start saying, the only reason I'm doing the work for God is to set up treasure in heaven? <laughs> Once again, it's that balance that we have to balance back out and say, actually, it's God that's doing the work in us, and then he's the one that is actually going to give us the treasure not that we are trying to work for the treasure in the first place. If I'm just trying to work for the treasure, the treasure's not going to be there because you know what I'm doing? I'm working for the pride of myself to set up some treasure. And do you know where my treasure is? My treasure is here with my pride. Right? And it is a job for us to just follow after God in be someone who is working for him.
I used the analogy last night of Bonnie and I's marriage, and I reference it again here uh, this morning briefly. Um, Bonnie and I's marriage, at the, at the moment of my uncle pr- uh, pronouncing us husband and wife, we can no longer be less married or more married. We're fully married from that moment on. Okay? Now, I did reference this last night, and, and uh, we're, we'll get into it just a little bit more now. Do you think that our marriage is the same as it was 22 plus years ago? Is our marriage the same? I mean, I'll be honest. She was the most beautiful. She still is the most beautiful. <laughs> I can't better not say that just in past tense, right? She was, she was and is the most beautiful woman that I know, okay? And I'm sorry, all you other guys, I know that you have differences of opinion. And that, this is one place that we'll agree to disagree, and we'll leave it at that, all right? Um, 22 plus years later, well, 22 years ago, we thought that we knew everything, 21 and 22 years old. We knew everything. We had the world by the horns. We were going to just live this blissful wedded life forever and ever all right a few hours no not (laughs) i don't i don't remember when we had our first disagreement um but honestly throughout those 22 years and those of you who have been married for any amount of time if you're you're past six months to a year, the honeymoon phase, you know that there's some things that you just didn't know. Now, one of the unknown unknowns, and then they became a known unknown, and then hopefully they become a known known. All right, referencing clear back a few nights ago. Um, So when when we think about this, I would say that our marriage is much deeper and much richer 22 years later than what it was when we thought that we knew everything. Every part of our marriage is so much better than it was clear back then. And we thought that we knew it all, right? Um, There's been some hardship, some heartache, some hard times, some butting heads in our relationship, sometimes more than others. But I wouldn't go back and trade those times away because you know what those times create? A deeper, fuller, richer relationship for where we are today. And if, if Bonnie and I are fairly passionate people in the fact that... Uh, she has her opinions, I have my opinions. And oftentimes those opinions are kind of the same opinion. I said oftentimes. Not always, right? But that's part of the beauty of this relationship. The same thing goes to our relationship in Jesus Christ. And as Christ, as the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, when I was 12 years old, I, I kind of thought that I knew what Christianity was about. And the older I get, 
the, the less I know <laughs> sort of thing. The older I get, the more I realize what it really cost. The more I realize what I've really gained. The more I realize how ridiculous this idea of the gospel really is. If you look at it from strictly a humanistic standpoint, this idea of the gospel is ridiculous. It is, it is outlandish. Why would the creator of the world create us in a way that we had this free choice that we could choose to do whatever we wanted to do and then not just burn the place down after, we, after Adam and Eve failed? Why would he... Uh, allow us to continue after the garden and then flood the world but yet save a few why didn't he just kill everybody why in the world would he send his son just like in the Sunday school lesson this morning why would he send his son knowing that the people of the day the religious leaders of the day would reject the very one the very heir and they would kill him, and it would cost him the death of his son. It would separate him from his very one and only begotten son. Why would he do that? But the fact of the matter is, is I know that it's true. Because one has come into my life, and he has changed my life, and he has sent his sanctifying spirit to continue to mold me and make me more like him. And as was read this morning, even if I didn't believe, even if none of us believed, even the rocks would cry out. And I can't wait because I believe that one day the rocks will truly cry out along with us as we're worshiping and praising our Savior. We will see them crying out praising God for the very thing that he did 2,000 years ago to save you and I. <clears throat> Each of us have this choice to become more sanctified, to become more set apart, to become more like him. And it is a free choice for you and for I. And I implore you that you make that choice, that you plant a flag, that you say, at this point in my life, I am, set, I am accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and wherever this line of sanctification leads me, I want it to end up, up there, where God is. I want to use one last illustration with this piece of rope here. <clears throat> let's just imagine for a second okay that the rope starts right here at the top of the pulpit okay let's imagine that that this all this part up here is god okay as a as an unjustified believer we are right here at the very bottom of this rope, right? Would you all agree with that? Just like barely hanging on? As a 
justified believer, how high up on this rope would you place us? Because oftentimes, what's that? Did somebody say something? I'm going to put you on the spot now. Okay. I won't say who said that because you guys know his voice. <laughs> um, to some extent, we are. We're, up, we're with God. We're justified. But as, in my opinion, as we are living on earth, where are we as a justified believer? In my mind, we're clear down here. Okay? Are we really... I get it, okay? We are justified before God. But what happens is this, all right? If we say, well, I'm justified, so I'm up here. And I've been sanctified for, um, let's see, 31 years. So maybe that puts me up a little higher. And as I continue to be sanctified, I'm going to be higher and closer to God. But you know what I've done by, by doing that? I've been saying, ah, I'm working my way up. I'm working my way higher. And it's me. Do you know where I see myself as a sanctified believer for 31 years? Barely hanging on. And the fact of the matter is, is I'm not even able to hang on. We've all seen the illustration of uh, the, the footprints in the sand and there'll be two sets of footprints and then at times there's one set of footprints and we say where were you God and God says those are my footprints I was carrying you in my life do you know what I'm holding on to Christ as as hard as I can but yet I'm unable to actually even hold on without the strength of him pulling me along or helping me along and leading me along on this journey called Christendom. And when I start placing myself higher and higher on this rope, another thing happens as well. I put myself anywhere except for at the very bottom, and then I start seeing myself as better than other people. This is one other area that I want to talk about for just a second. If any of you are on social media of, of any kind, you've seen this. If you listen to the news, you've seen this. If you're just out amongst people, you've seen this. Unless you're a hermit behind a rock, behind a closed door that never opens, you've seen this you've seen the Christian community come out and just start bashing against other people. Do you know why we start bashing against other people? Because we start viewing ourselves as better than other people. We cannot, simply cannot view ourselves as better than others. The only only, only reason we have any reason to actually be able to say anything is not because of the work that we've done or not because of the person that we've accepted. It's because of the truth giver behind all of that. 
And the truth giver, while he was on the cross, had the right to call a thousand angels and come down and finish the whole thing right then and there, didn't he? He had the ability to say, these people, these people aren't worth it. But yet, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. Shouldn't that be us, the very heart of us being set apart? Shouldn't that make us different? Shouldn't that drive us to knowing that ultimately we are simply no better? It's just because we know the Savior. And shouldn't us, it make us want to reach out in love and compassion to the world around us so that they can see a difference? And if we yell and we scream and we say, you must accept Jesus Christ, and we start beating them over the head with our Bibles, are they going to see Jesus? Or are they going to see an angry Christian once again? It's dirty. It's messy. I get it. <clears throat> I don't like dirty. I don't like messy. Just recently, um, we got Mason. Um, more recently still, the social worker gave Mason's mom, Mason's grandma's phone number to my wife. I'm going to have to ask her for forgiveness for using this story after church. So anyway, <laughs> um, in that, when, when uh, the social worker gave Bonnie Brenda's phone number, he said, you're welcome to start texting some updates on Mason. And my wife held on to that phone number for several days. And I would ask her, hey, hon, have you texted Brenda to let him know how Mason's doing? And uh, she would say, no, I, I just haven't done that yet. And I would say, okay, I was nice. <laughs> Hopefully she would back that up. And as the spirit continued to work, I would ask, have you? And... I know my wife well enough now to know that if I push too hard, it makes her mad. I mean, if I get pushed too hard, it makes me mad too. And she, uh, um, I don't know, last weekend, I guess, she, she said, she handed me her phone and said, here, look at this. And it was text to Brenda for updates of Mason, right? And I asked her after that, I said, you know, why, why, why did it take you so long? I'm just curious. And she said, well, part of, the, part of the reason was because of selfish reasons. I mean, look at her. She's the cutest little thing. We really don't want to give her away. <laughs> but she's not ours. Open hand, right? 
She's, she's ours to steward as long as God gives us her to steward. Part of it was that, but part of it was, I don't know what kind of mess we may become involved in. And I don't, we don't know. We don't, we don't know what, what kind of family, and we're, we by no means want to speak poorly or anything like that of Mason's family, okay? But let's say hypothetically they don't know Jesus. We have viewed and we have felt that God has led us, not everybody, maybe not anybody else in here, and that's okay, because God leads different people to different things. But we feel like God has led us into foster care as a ministry. And what if Mason's family, the only Jesus Mason's family ever sees, is us? Do we want our selfish reasons to get in the way so that they never see Jesus? Do we want, or do we want to be able to interact with them and continue to show them love, continue to show them compassion, continue to show them who we know our Jesus really is because he has shown us the same love and compassion and he has helped us to grow into the, into the people that we are today. Those choices are choices that we make every day. Those choices are choices on a very small scale. There's some amoral choices, yes, that we make. What color socks am I going to wear today? That's an amoral choice. It doesn't matter. But there's a lot of choices that we make that will affect the bigger choices. And those choices will affect the bigger choices. And those uh, choices affect the biggest choices. Oftentimes we say, I'll know the, the right choice to make when the big choices come, and I'll make the right choice then. But if we've made all the wrong choices with all the little choices, when the big choice comes, we're more likely to make the wrong choice, right? And we need to make sure that we're letting that spirit change us, mold us, and make us into who he wants us to to be not for selfish reasons but ultimately for one reason and one reason alone and that is to simply reflect the glory all back to him and not shine any of it on ourselves because we simply aren't worthy of that glory only he is worthy of that glory god bless you all in your walk of sanctification, what shall we sing?